on? Yeah. Good. Morning, all. Move this one out of the way. Uh, my name's Dan. I, I haven't met a bunch of you because most of the time I come in the morning, it's to preach, and so that means quite occasionally I get to meet you. It's lovely to meet you again. Uh, I'd love to say hi to you after the service. I haven't met you before. It is a great privilege to look at this passage. I have been deeply struck by this passage this week. Great challenge. And I thought I understood this parable until I kind of looked at it deeper. So I'd love to pray that we, our hearts might be shaped by God's word, that we might be stirred to love like the Lord Jesus this morning. Will you pray with me? Our Father, these things are deep and precious in your word. Please take us, mould us, shape us after the image of the Lord Jesus. We pray that as we seek to love others, show much of him. Amen. One of my great loves in life is ancient history which a lot of people find quite strange, particularly my teachers. So I, as I was finishing school, I got into law and they were excited and I did a classics degree instead, much to all of my teachers' disappointment, much to my delight, because I love it. I read ancient history growing up and at uni I got to do a whole degree in the thing. I love ancient Rome, ancient Greece, and some of my heroes, in a sense, growing up were Alexander the Great and Julius Caesar, until I started to scratch a little bit. I wonder if you've explored some of these things. When you start to look at these men, these, these so-called great men, they turn out to be quite dreadful men, awful men, men who slaughtered billions, men whose ethic was power. And you start to be quite distanced from the whole thing because the glory and the power starts to wear off. It was an ugly world in the ancient world and it's an ugly world today. There's a book that came out a few years ago by a man named Tom Holland who's not the Spider-Man actor but an ancient Roman historian. And he studied ancient history at university and he writes in the book about what happened when he did that. There's a quote up on the screen... It was not just the extremes of callousness that unsettled me, he says, when he read these ancient works, but the complete lack of any sense that the poor or the weak might have the slightest intrinsic value. Because in my morals and ethics, I was not a Spartan or a Roman at all, but a Christian. Now, it's worth saying Tom Holland is not a Christian. He's an agnostic Roman historian and as he looked at ancient history, he started to see the disconnect with his life and thought, why do we love the poor as a culture? And so he wrote this book, Dominion, to explain. And as he investigated, he found a surprising answer, which is that what he calls the Christian Revolution. That 2,000 years ago, a man, Jesus of Nazareth, walked the earth and taught 
astonishing things. He did costly, selfless acts of love. And we know as Christians that actually he laid down his life in the most astonishing act of selfless love we have ever seen. Tom Holland says that changed the world. Here's a second quote from Holland. That human beings have rights, that they are born equal, that they are owed sustenance and shelter and refuge from persecution. These were never self-evident truths. You hear what he's saying? Something profound happened 2,000 years ago that has profoundly shaped our world, the way we think about love and ethics, refugees, the poor. And I take it primary among some of the teachings of Jesus on this is this parable, this most well-known of all parables, the Good Samaritan. That revolutionised our world and it was a revolution of love. But there's been another revolution on the boil over the last few decades. We've been spoon-fed this most of our waking memory and philosophers have started to call this expressive individualism. Don't worry about the term, it doesn't particularly matter. You can get it from the slogans. Our culture is telling us you do you. Love what you want. Do what makes you happy. You see what's happened? We've started to centre love on ourselves. And what I want you to notice is that that revolution of love and Jesus' teaching are profoundly at odds. The teaching of our world is go and find your meaning within. Love within. It bends inwards, but Jesus teaches us to stretch outwards, to love the other. They are oil and water. They are profoundly in conflict. And all of that means we should, I think, feel this morning a deep tension as we look at these things, a deep tension that this is not the way our heart wants to live. Deep challenge to our selfishness. Here's the tension I see in our culture that all of us, I take it, crave that kind of selfless love, don't we? We long for someone to love us in a costly, beautiful way, but we don't want to be the ones who do it. We crawl inwards and then fear that we're lonely, but we don't want to reach out. Our culture is in profound tension at this point. But here's what this parable will do for us this morning. As we hear the words of Jesus, we should expect a profound revolution in our hearts to see what he has done and to consider a deeply self-sacrificial life. If we get what Jesus is saying this morning, none of us will leave unchanged. And all I want to do with you is look at that parable that was read. I've got three points, they all start with P, so I'm a simple man, simple points. We're going to look at the parable and then we're going to think about what the purpose of the parable is and then what we do with it, the pattern of the parable for us. First, the parable. Have a look at verse 29. The immediate context of this parable is a conversation with a religious lawyer and he asked the question to Jesus, who is my neighbour? 
And so Jesus replied, verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. That is an awful picture, isn't it, of a man who's naked, half dead on the road in his own blood. He goes on. Verse 31, By chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. A priest, one of the Jewish religious elite, served in the temple, comes to a man on the road who is half dead and naked and he passes on to the other side. The one who heard from God the commandments we read earlier to love your neighbour passed by. And Jesus doesn't tell us why. The commentators love to find reasons. I think the point is actually that they crossed over for their own reasons. Whether it was ritual impurity, it doesn't matter. The point is they crossed to the other side. The same thing with the Levite, verse 32. Likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side, leaving this man half dead. But verse 33. A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Intimate. He went to him, he bound up his wounds, he poured oil and wine. He set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Now isn't that, isn't Jesus a master storyteller? Isn't this a moving parable of an astonishing self-sacrificial love? He asked the question, verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbour to the man who fell among the robbers? The man said, the one who showed him mercy. Now notice, the question that the lawyer asked Jesus is this, who is my neighbour? How does Jesus answer that question? I'll show you what love looks like to a neighbour. Not who do I have to love, but this is a vision of love. He asked the man, who was the one who showed love, who showed neighbourly love? What do we make of this parable? Two religious men walked by on the other side, but a Samaritan. And here we need a bit of, Old Te- a bit of New Testament context. See, the Samaritans and the Jews, the only thing they had in common was that they hated each other. That was very mutual. The Samaritans worshipped in a different way, had a different part of the Old Testament. They didn't associate with the Jews and the Jews hated the Samaritans. They're enemies. What does Jesus say? A Samaritan came to this man, probably a Jew, half dead, naked in a pool of his own blood and looked after him. That is costly love, isn't it? We're thinking, they probably didn't have a conversation. He's half dead, what's he going to say? He probably doesn't know this man's name. 
doesn't know what he does for a job. What he sees is a man who is nearly dead in need. It's costly because it costs him his time. He's going somewhere and he stops and takes this man instead to an inn. That is a radical love, isn't it? When he gets to the inn, he pays for the stay of this man, as much as it will cost. Notice as well, I think what we don't get in this parable is this road in the first century was well known. It was called the Bloody Road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was downhill, windy, and it's a little bit like the back alleys of a city where you don't go at night. What do you do in those places? You don't stop. What does this Samaritan do? He stops at, I think, great risk to his own safety. Clearly, someone's beaten up this guy, and yet he takes care of him. Notice, as he gets to the inn, have a look at verse 34. The wind's just flicked my Bible over. (laughs) Verse 34. When he got to the inn, he took care of him. Verse 35, how long for? The next day he pays the innkeeper. This Samaritan all night took care of this man. Martin Luther King, that great revolutionary, the day before he was assassinated, gave his last address. It's a very moving address. And in part of that speech, he talks about this parable. And he's wrestling with this. He, he, he says that the, the question for the priest and the Levite is this. That's up on the screen. If I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the good Samaritan came by and he reversed the question. If I don't stop to help this man, what will happen to him? A profound insight. That love asks after the other, at cost to the self. This is a deep challenge to us, isn't it, in our selfishness, in our individual lives, as we live in our own homes and often don't venture out into our communities. Let me offer a few reflections. One of the things this parable reminds us of is that all people are made in the image of God. You see, the two commandments that the man references, Love God, love neighbour, are grounded in the heart of our Lord. Why? Because all people are made in his image and have value. And what Jesus shows us is regardless of race, of status, of job, all people have great dignity before the Lord and are worthy of love. Our world is in pain. There are millions, billions of people right now who are hurting, poverty, broken lives, broken marriages, sick, diseased. And it breaks your heart, doesn't it? It breaks the heart of Jesus. But so often as we see these things, we walk by on the other side, don't we? I don't have time today. Whatever the reason is, And often we do try and justify it, don't we? We walk by. In a world that says love yourself, Jesus says love others. 
Our world says, love yourself and don't give up on your dreams. Don't let anyone get in the way. Jesus says, profoundly give of yourself in a way that will cost. Isn't that a deep challenge? I've been struck by this this week, that that is so counter to my heart, to the human heart of selfishness. That's our parable. But second, the purpose. What's the point of this parable in Luke? Now up on the screen there's a, a colour palette. I want to show you. Anyone know this movie? Anyone shout it out? Interstellar. I know it's, it's a little bit tricky. Now, what I want you to notice, because I, I didn't notice this till this year, to my shame, I'm a little bit ignorant of these things, is that movies have colour palettes. Is this new for anyone else? Maybe not. <laughs> when you walk around in life, there's all kinds of colours, and, and on a screen apparently that gets messy, so you want to put a few particular colours on the screen, and you get a mood. So, end of the world. <laughs> Pick those colours. Ne- next slide, there's another one. Uh, again, end of the world, you get very dreary colours. Next slide is happier. Paddington Bear, don't we all love Paddington? You see what the colours are doing, though? They're starting to build a flavour, build a picture of a story, and it builds a coherence as you watch the movie. Now, think with me about Luke. What's the colour palette of Luke? Where are we in this book? Let me take you to a few pieces of context that I think are very important for our passage. Come with me to chapter 9, verse 51. After that glorious picture we saw last week where Jesus is declared the Christ and he's in glory, revealed as the Son of God, Chapter 9, verse 51, Luke says this, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He sets his face to Jerusalem because that is where he would be crucified for the sin of the world. This is the point in Luke where Jesus, having been revealed as who he is, goes deliberately every step to the cross. You see it all through these passages, chapter 9, verse 57, as they were going along the road, where? To the cross, to Jerusalem. 10, verse 38, as they went on their way. 13, verse 22, Jesus went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying to Jerusalem. There is one thing on the mind of our Lord, his cross, where he would die for the sins of the world. You see the urgency in these passages. Jesus has a mission, and in chapter 9, people ask him if they can follow him, and he says, there's no time. Don't even wait to bury your father. Come. This is the moment where we get the Good Samaritan parable. Let me give you a second bit of context. We've actually ignored, for now, the lawyer's first question. Have a look at verse 25. The lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, what's the connection between that question and the parable of the Good Samaritan? Because that's the context. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? 
how do we move from there to the Good Samaritan parable? There's more going on in this story. Let me trace the logic with you. That question in verse 25, I think, is a good question. It's a vital question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? But there's issues with the question. A couple issues. What can anyone do to inherit anything? It's a bit of a silly question, isn't it? You get an inheritance. You don't do something to earn it. But it's also strange because... And Jesus picks this up. What shall I do is a particular way to think about eternal life. What do I have to do? Have a look at verse 26. Jesus replies to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? The man answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and your neighbour as yourself. Now that's a very good answer. It's actually Jesus' answer elsewhere. But the lawyer should at this point start to realise there is a problem. Did he hear what he just said? How do I get to heaven? Love the Lord your God with your everything, all the time, completely, and your neighbour as yourself. Who can do that and live? What does Jesus say? You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Do you find that strange? A man has come to the Lord Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus doesn't say, you can't repent and believe in me, I'm your only hope. Why doesn't he do that? Instead, he takes the lawyer to the law and then says, do this and you will live. Here's what's going on. Jesus is taking apart this lawyer's worldview. This lawyer thinks, like a lot of people, that what I do determines where I go after death. That if I do the right things, I can make it to heaven. And Jesus is saying, if you want to think like that, what do you have to do? This. The whole law. And he says, if you do that, you don't need forgiveness. You've made it. Do this, he says, and you will live. The problem is none of us can do that. The lawyer hasn't picked this up. Look look at verse 29. But he, in a tragic sentence, Luke says, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbour? Do you see the context of our parable? A man who thinks he can earn his way to heaven. Actually, he's not even asking a genuine question. He's asking to test Jesus. He doesn't really care about the answer. And he tries to justify himself. It's the same thing he's doing before God. He tries to justify himself before him based on what he does. That's when Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. Why? To undo the man. To say to him, this is what love looks like. If you can do this, you can come into the kingdom. You can do it perfectly. Notice what he says, his last words. You go, Jesus says, and do likewise. Aren't they devastating words? Not so that you can have eternal life, but because you can't do this. 
If you want to be treated based on what you do, this is the standard, Jesus says. You see what he's doing? There is a richness here. Jesus is undoing this man. And it's a devastating critique. Who is the person most like the lawyer in the parable of the Good Samaritan? As I've wrestled with this this week, I think it's the half-dead guy on the side of the road. That's where we all are before God without the Lord Jesus, aren't we? What can I do? Nothing. I'm half-dead on the side of the road and I have not loved the Lord my God with all of my heart. I have not loved my neighbour as myself. I need rescue. That's the point of the Good Samaritan in context. Because here's the thing, in order to receive Jesus, we must be undone. We must hear that we are like the man half dead on the side of the road. Ephesians 2, we're dead in our sins. We have no hope unless God grabs us and saves us. But here's the question. Who is like this good Samaritan? There is one who loves like this. And it is a beautiful truth that the Lord Jesus, as he came into our world, you see as we read through Luke, his compassion for the poor, for the sick. And right now, as he tells this parable, he is heading towards Jerusalem where he would die in the most profound, astonishing act of self-sacrifice you could ever imagine. To save us. This is the one who is like the Good Samaritan. We can't go and do likewise in order to inherit eternal life. That won't work. But thirdly, what do we think? How do we think about this passage as Christian? Go and do likewise, Jesus says, not so that we can earn it, but because of what he's done. You see the profound difference. Go and do likewise because you are already rescued. And because we have received this love of the Lord Jesus, go. Jesus calls us to love in a costly way. And here's the thing, I think when we're captured by what Jesus has done, it does spill over into our lives, doesn't it? The more we think of what he has done, the more we seek to love by the power of the Holy Spirit those God has put in front of us in costly ways. What does it look like for us? Well, there's a whole world out there, isn't there? Suffering and sickness and death. Does it feel overwhelming? One of our unique challenges, I think, living in a city is it's very easy not to look. It's very easy to live in our own private homes, drive to work, catch the train, put the earphones in, do the work, come home, same thing, and not see anyone. I feel that pressure, that desire to be in my own little world. We need to become uncomfortable and to look outwards. Because I guarantee, and I'm stuck, I've been reflecting on this this week, as soon as you start to look, it's everywhere. One of the principles from our passage 
when it feels overwhelming, is to start with who's in front of you. The Good Samaritan doesn't go and start an organisation, though that might be a good thing to do. He sees a man in need in front of him and he acts in love. There is so many things we need to think about in this area that I'd love for us to talk after church about these things. How do we love our neighbours well? But as we finish, I want to share with you actually that there is a type of poverty that is unseen. Spiritual poverty. What do you see when you look out at our city? 5.3 million people. Do you see hundreds, millions of people who are heading for hell? Because they haven't yet bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus. In deep spiritual poverty, half dead on the side of the road, with no hope based on what they do to make it to heaven. Do we believe that? Or have we crossed the road because it's too hard to think about? That is our world. That is our city. That is the eastern suburbs. And there will come a day when Jesus returns and the only reason he hasn't come back yet is because, 2 Peter 3, because of his great compassion. He doesn't want anyone to perish. There is an urgency. Can I remind us this morning, there is a deep urgency about these things. We have one short life on this planet and there are are people on the road to a Christless eternity. I want to come back to Martin Luther King's quote. As we think about evangelism, I think we are tempted to think of the question, if I say something, what will happen to me? If I invite my friend, my family to church, what's going to happen to me? I think we need to train our hearts to ask the question, if I don't, if I don't say something, if I don't do something, what will happen to them? These things are real. And God has given us a responsibility as those who have the good news of Jesus to tell others so that they might be saved. What if we decided today to do something together about this? Because here's the thing, I think it's easy to read a passage like this, be persuaded for a day and then come Monday it washes off. Can I encourage you after the service, chat with one another, pray, think about how we might reach Sydney, reach the eastern suburbs, We're called to love our neighbour. We have a wonderful, great Samaritan as a saviour. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you knowing our only hope that while we were half dead on the side of the road, you came and plucked us from death. Thank you that by faith we are forgiven, we are made right with you, not because of what we've done, 
but all because Jesus walked the road to Jerusalem. And we pray desperately, Lord, for our city, for those who are broken and hurting in need. Fill us with the compassion of the Lord Jesus. Father, by your spirit, change our hearts, melt them, and make them like yours. We pray that you might save many people in our neighbourhoods for your glory. For the honour of the Lord Jesus.